Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So if you played college sports or high school sports, or if you're a CrossFitter or you lift weights on a regular basis, you might have seen Sorenex equipment at your gym. Besides the power racks, bars, and weightlifting plates, they also make a whole slew of functional fitness apparatuses like prowlers, landmines, grip training devices. Today on the podcast, we have the CEO of Sorenex, Bert Soren. He's a big, giant man with a great, grizzly beard. And today we're going to talk about the mission of Sorenex and helping people become physically cultured and what exactly that means. We're going to talk about why a man should be strong, what fitness benchmarks every man should try to strive for, and I'll talk about grip training. Sorenex has played a big role and bringing back modern grip training and we'll discuss why that's so important to your overall physical strength and what you can do to improve your grip strength and much more great podcasts practical information you can use right away in the gym tomorrow let's do this bert soren welcome to the show brett thanks for having me all right so you're uh the ceo right of sorenex equipment all right. Uh, uh, my, my father started uh, 34 years ago. I grew up in it, and uh, now I'm running the ship. Yeah, can you tell us, like, I mean, I thought it was kind of interesting how your dad started it, because uh, it's one of those <laughs> American dream job, like, you know, the, the, the American dream exemplified. Uh, so what's the what's the background on this? Okay, uh, 19, in the, in the 70s, uh, my father was a, a weightlifter and a shot putter in college and um it was always in the power production sports and um really loved it he, he grew up going to york barbell as a kid and actually jumped on a on a, a train when he was 12 or 13 years old to go to the old york picnics with john grimmick and some old athletes like that uh so that's kind of where all of this started uh as a, as a young man that that always wanted to live the strenuous life himself um so he when he was a kid he, he didn't read very well so his dad gave him uh, all the outdoor life magazines and strength magazines, and that that allowed him to read more and more, um, and uh, that that's kind of what infused that that love into him. But fast forward a little bit, uh, he was a coach uh, for for athletes and physical education teacher, and and um, started building playgrounds and then started building weightlifting equipment because there was nothing else out there that lived up to his standards of what he felt was heavy duty and adjustable and safe enough. So he's always been kind of a da Vinci of the, uh, of, of weightlifting equipment. So built our own stuff out of the garage and, uh, it literally, a, it was a, one of those crazy things where he would, he would coach, um, coach all day. Then he would run a weightlifting class for the kids in the evening, uh, to get more, more kids fit. And then he would take his 1974 land cruiser across town and strap pieces of steel on top, haul butt back home, and uh, cut stuff in our garage by hand and just built it up and where he would sell one bench or one squat rack and take the money that he made and go down to man tool here in our um, here in our town and buy one more tool and then just literally built the business from the ground up in the garage and until the point where it got big enough where he decided to quit teaching and go at it make make the big jump and go at it full full time and see if he can make it work that's awesome I mean it's crazy that he was teaching weightlifting back in the seventies, because it, I mean, I know there's, there was like a physical culture movement in America, but it didn't seem like, you know, weightlifting was all that big of a deal back then as it is today. Oh no, it was, it was, I wouldn't say taboo. It was just very, 
everyone was very uneducated about it. Uh, him coming from the Northeast where Olympic weightlifting was a bigger uh, piece, uh, he came down here to South Carolina, like I said, on that scholarship. And when he came down here, no one, everyone still had the, the idea of being muscle bound and everything like that. So he built the first weight room at the University of South Carolina as a freshman here. Uh, he insisted that he could get he needed to lift weight, so he drove back up to New Jersey and picked up his barbell and came back down and, and started the first weightlifting. But then, uh, when he had his kindergartners and even fifth graders and all these all these kids, he had them um, lifting weights. I have I have pictures of uh, kindergartners in 1974 and 1975 doing full snatches with wooden dowels and um, and then some clippings from the paper, and he was saying, you know, kids need to know these these movements and, and triple extension and be able to jump and run and everything like that. Some things that you're kind of seeing in vogue now, uh, it's kind of funny. It was almost 40 years ago. He was pushing that really hard. Yeah, it's crazy. Like you would, like, I mean, even just, like, 10 or 15 years ago, the like, idea of kids lifting weights would be like, no, don't do that. That's They'll stunt their growth. <laughs> Right, right, and everyone, you know, everyone told me that in the mid '80s um, because we kind of had a thing. Uh, what I was taught early on, uh, kind of was joking, but not so joking that you weren't you weren't really a sore until you could deadlift double body weight. Um, <laughs> and I think the first time I did that, I was maybe in second or third grade, and I remember going to school the next day, and it happened to be, you know, what's the greatest moment of your life? And I told him how I finally deadlifted 112 pounds. Which, if you think about it, I was 56 pounds, which is hilarious. That, that at 56 pounds, I thought the coolest thing ever was deadlifting double body weight. Um, and so, but can people say, oh, you're going to stunt your growth? And I turned out to be 6'3", 250 pounds. So <laughs> it worked out. It worked out all right. Well, speaking it of. Out. Maybe I'd have been nine feet tall. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Well, speaking of deadlifting, I thought this was kind of an interesting fact I uh, heard from the guys at Atomic Athlete is that your dad still. I mean, how old is your dad? Just for uh, he he turned sixty four in June. All right, sixty four in June. So or, yeah, he turned. Yeah, he'll be sixty five. Okay, this year. but he has a a birthday tradition that he does every yeah. year. Still, what is that? Uh, he deadlifts five hundred pounds. That's crazy. And um, and he deadlifted a lot for many many years, and and a little over seven hundred during his competition years. But uh, a couple years back, we started, I asked him. I said, "How long have you been?" deadlifting over five he said oh, i usually do it about every you know i could always do it every year he goes i've been doing it since i was 15 and so we started thinking i said dang you know let's see if you can make it to 65 and have 50 straight years of deadlifting 500 pounds or more so he made it last year at his birthday and uh and try actually tried for a second rep but it wasn't wasn't quite there but uh he, he kind of laughed at me he's like man I'm, I'm tired of this I was like, well, you got one more year and then i'll let you off let you off the hook. Well, that, that brings up an interesting question. I know some of our listeners are older, right? Middle age, getting into their fifties. Sure. I mean, what, and there's this common, there's this idea there. As you get older, you're going to get weaker. Um, and right. your dad has obviously not done that. I mean, what, what has he done to maintain his strength, uh, even into his sixties? It's consistency. It's consistency and it's doing the big movements. Um, you know, a lot of folks, they'll go in, especially as they get older, they'll go over to the little machines and they'll do little tricep kickbacks and all this other stuff. But dad has squatted, benched, deadlifted, and some of the other big exercises three to four times a week for 50 years. 
Um, he's, and I just see that and I realize his bone density is still very high. Uh, and that's where a lot of folks, they, they lose, um, because obviously their your testosterone is going down. And so your, your muscle quality and density goes down, but it really you exacerbate that problem when you go away from the, the muscle and structure building exercises like deadlifts, squats, presses, standing presses, things like that. Um, I, I, I pretty much call BS on anyone who says, you know, I'm like 45 now. I can't be strong. I literally remember dad front squatting a lifetime best at 49 years old. Whoa. And so and he, he'll tell you, he, he, you know, he was his strongest probably in his mid to late forties. And then it started going, it started going down pretty, pretty steep at 55. Although his, you know, the numbers are still, still good. But you know you you can't outrun Father Time. Yeah. Uh, but but staying with the big exercises, and you maybe you don't do what all the little twenty year olds are doing, but staying with the deadlifts, the squats, and things like that are obviously that that's the key to it. And and, and doing it as much as you possibly can, not just uh, not only doing it if you could go heavy. Do it do it do it to whatever level. I mean in the in the Confederate time, you know, in the, the old Confederate days of the you know, early portions of our of our country, uh, they had a lift. They called it the health lift, and really all it was is a deadlift lockout from the mid thigh. And the idea was you have a, a a random amount of weight on there, some you know three, four, five hundred pounds, six hundred pounds, whatever it may be, and you'd walk up to the bar from a mid thigh and you just pick it up a few times every day. No specific rep schemes or sets or anything like that. But the idea was if you pick that up every day, it would, it would keep you healthy. And then really, if you think about it, it's, it's a brilliant idea. You're going to work your grip. You're going to work your forearms, your upper shoulder girdle for stability, your erectors in your spine, your core will stay strong, your legs, your hips, your back. Those are all the things that were needed in that society to be manly or to be strong. So it's yeah. kind of interesting that the deadlift was, was once called the health lift. The health lift. I like that. I, I, that's, I never knew that. That's really cool. Okay. So, uh, I, your guys' motto over at Sornex is physically cultured. Uh, what does it mean, uh, to be physically cultured and how do you strive to be physically cultured? Cause you don't really hear that word physical culture anymore. Right. Right. Well, that was a bit of an homage back to, uh, to the days of, I don't really, really know how to put good words to it. It's really a lot of what I'm seeing in your web, in your website, and in your writings. Uh, cultured as a man, but physically cultured. We'll take it that one step a little bit further. Um, Tr used to talk about the strenuous life. Uh, to to be uh, physically strong, to be physically uh, blessed with stamina, or at least worked into having stamina. Uh, flexible, being able to move, being not not being uh, a bodybuilder of sorts or, or a, a Greek god kind of thing, but it's just being able to use that tool of your body um, to to do whatever your brain can tell it to do. But the next part about culture is to know what where the exercises came from, to know why you do them, to know what the muscles do, to know how to recover them and stimulate them. So. Just to be uh, an athlete or, or just to do a physical task only is one portion of it, but to be cultured in that is to live in that realm uh, that that honors the strong and honors the, the ones in the past, but you're still always pushing forward to, to new heights. 
that's that's what we feel being physically cultured means. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, speaking of you, you kind of mentioned Teddy Roosevelt and the strenuous life and being strong and manly. I mean, why do you think it's important for a man to be strong, even if he's not an athlete, even if he's not law enforcement or military? Why should he be strong? Well, a few reasons. Uh, If if a man is going to decide to have a girlfriend or a wife or, or kids, most likely he's going to be the strongest or, or if, if it, if the, the crap hits the fan, the, the light is going to turn to him to be the one who gets them out of it. Uh, whether that's pushing your car out of the ditch, whether that's moving the, uh, um, moving the washer and dryer upstairs in your house, whether that's fighting your way out of a bad situation, defending your life, carrying your kids out of a burning house, blah, blah, blah. All of those things that, Let's be honest, they're going to look to the man to do that. Um, and I really have a hard time feeling that I would be ill-prepared to do such tasks when called upon. Uh, it's more of a service mindset. It's not of, uh, I'm so great because I'm strong. Um, I can't be everything. I can't reach my potential to be a father, a husband, uh, a business leader. If I'm, if I don't have physical and mental strength, I, I, I will let, I will eventually let someone down, and uh, that just doesn't sit well. And I, I think if I have the ability and the testosterone and the the frame that the Lord's given me to to build that and, and get to the highest potential I can, I think that uh, that that being strong is something you're almost obligated to do. Yeah. Otherwise. Otherwise, your load falls on someone else's shoulders. Mm, I like that. Yeah, Teddy Roosevelt talked about uh, you need to be able to carry your own pack, right, as a man. Yeah. Uh, just, sure. Yeah, That's carry exactly your burden. It. Yeah. Do your part. Because otherwise, it's going to, it has to go to someone else. It has to be defrayed to someone else. Um, I, and I, I just, I can't, I couldn't imagine not being able to, uh, say, if my wife fell or something, me not be able to get her into safety or my kids or whatever it may be that that would uh it just doesn't doesn't make sense especially if i have the opportunity to to be able to do that yeah well on that same topic are there you know benchmarks strength benchmarks that you think every man should strive for i think probably the simplest um from a judgeability as well as trainability would be that two times body weight deadlift um is something that I think it's not your average strength level. Uh, you, you know, many people won't be able to quite get there. I think if you train long and hard enough and you train seriously, I think it could be attained by most, uh, but you're not going to do it uh, casually. Um, but by doing, I, I, I have yet to find someone who could deadlift double body weight that wasn't strong everywhere. That wasn't strong across the board. That if I knew that we had to, carry lumber or climb a tree or chop an axe, use an axe to chop wood or all the other crazy things we get ourselves into. I've rarely found someone that that has that level of strength that really isn't good uh, at just about everything. Um, Because that's either meaning you have to have a high level of strength. Well, it's really a high level of strength as comparison to body weight, which is is a great balance, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Or if you weigh 400 pounds and you have to be super, super strong, <laughs> that, that's rare. 
so you know Sornex is is known for their just their their awesome squat racks benches. I mean, it's just like high quality stuff. College training facilities across the country use them. But are there any other pieces of equipment that are unique that have come out of your all's factories? Sure, uh, sure. Well, the two that are probably the most seen that people may or may not ever know that we came up with. Uh, one is called Landmine, and it's uh, a universal joint with somewhat of a pipe on there. You shove a bar into it. And you do uh, a ton of different multi-planar uh, modalities, different movements. Um, it, a lot of companies make them now. A lot of us kind of kind of hacked off the idea, and it's a great. And, and the reason why is it's a great piece. And the funny part about it was it was never even intended to be a product. I I built it myself with the help of my dad's inventive mind uh, back in 1999 as a way to help my hammer throw training. Uh, when I was training for the 2000 Olympic trials, I needed something that would bridge the gap between a, a, a really good squat and clean and bridge the gap into a rotary torso motion that the hammer throw was, was needing. So the landmine is probably our most favorite. The second would be what you would consider a CrossFit rig. That's a multiple uprights connected in, in a thousand different configurations. That was also another invention of ours uh, for the CrossFit community. Uh, as well as other tactical communities and even colleges that just uh, just solve problems, and that's really what we're about. Sornex, we're, you know, our mission statement is to physically culture the world through innovative training solutions, and that solution might be a piece of equipment, or it might be uh, an application or an idea. Yeah, and besides that, I've also read that you guys played a kind of a big role in modern grip training. Um, right. What's uh, why the focus on grip training? Well. Um, Part of being physically cultured, like I said, is, is looking back into history and seeing the great ones that came before you. And, and if they kept really good records, at least you could test your medal against some of the greatest of all time. And in the mid-'80s, early to mid-'80s, my dad um, was reading a lot about Hermann Gorner, who was uh, a German strongman in the 20s and 30s. And on he died in the 50s, but he was uh, – a uh, very stout, strong, strong German fella that uh, had a was a really, really good deadlifter, but had an amazingly strong grip. Uh, I believe still to this day he holds the world record at a little over 700 pounds for one one-handed deadlift oh. at a body weight of about 265, which is just absolutely shocking. Um, so Dad got a list of Gorner's achievements, and a lot of them included thick bars and. Uh, a lot of different um, hand positioning on bars. And so dad tried to, to replicate some of these feats and just see how strong Gorner was and if he could beat him on some of these things. And so in, in doing that, dad started lifting anvils by the horn and he invented the, what we call the blob, which is a half of a York dumbbell, uh, old convex head York dumbbell gripping at 50 pounder, uh, gripping it uh, with a wide pinch grip and really started playing with, uh, what are things that aren't necessarily very heavy, but the shape of them makes them very difficult. And uh, he went on about a 10-year quest of just really understanding how the forearms and hands work and how do you make them really, really strong uh, and became the first person ever to close the number three Captain of Crush gripper that was thought to be unclosable by a human and uh, kind of cemented his name as the, the father of modern grip training um, and so as, as that happened, more and more folks wanted to do grip training and, and, uh, we felt about it anytime we could. 
Awesome. So are there any exercises or pieces of equipment that uh, a guy who's listening to this podcast can start doing or using today to improve his grip? Sure, sure. Uh, two easy ones uh, would be uh, one would be a plate pinch where you take your Olympic lifting or your Olympic plates. You could do uh, 10s, you could do 25s, 45s, whatever. If you could get the old style that has the smooth backs to them and you'll put them face to face where the outsides of the plate are smooth, and you can you, you set them vertically, um, and, and then you smash them together, and you you basically just take your hand, your thumb on one side, your four your four fingers on the other, and you pinch them together and try to deadlift them up. Um, world class it, or would be two forty five pound plates, two thirty fives would be someone of a of a very strong athlete, two twenty fives most pretty strong guys could do. Uh, and then obviously you go into your tens, and those are pretty easy. Then you could start doing multiple tens. And I've seen, I've seen Dad do six ten-pound uh, plates, which it's crazy because now it's so wide. Just literally the tip of his of his uh, thumb and, in, and middle finger were wrapped around the edges. But those are some things that, with a, without a lot of money, you could test your grip in different ways and, and really make your grip very, very strong. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard and, and probably written about uh, the, the mark of a strong man is or his hands. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So uh, plate pinches. Yeah. I've done those plate before. Plate pinches would be great. And another one, one, one other quick one are uh, you could take your end of your Olympic barbell, which is two inches in diameter, load plates, and do uh, do kind of landmine deadlifts with that because now it's going to be a thicker bar on your hands and open your hand up more, decrease the mechanical advantage that your fingers already have, and kind of build that talon-like grip. And those are things that you could do in your garage or basement or just about any gym out there. Very cool. Um, so before we started the podcast, you and I were talking about your history. You um, were actually a Highland Games guy. Uh, for a right. while, um, for right. listeners who aren't familiar, can you talk about like what the Highland Games are and uh, what exactly they sure. entail? The Highland Games are uh, an old Scottish event uh, that that goes way back to the days uh, where they were being ruled, and they were actually um, it was illegal for them to uh, to exercise or to uh, have weapons back in the day, so because they didn't want an uprising. So what they would do, they would have these contest these games of sorts and that would they, they weren't allowed to do military training i'm sorry they were allowed to exercise but they weren't allowed to military train so they they came up with these these basically clandestine ways to train for strength and stamina by throwing trees throwing rocks throwing hammers and the back in those days they're called it was a scottish hammer but it was basically a, a spherical head sledgehammer all things that they have in their agrarian society, they would throw uh, 56 and 28 pound weights that they would use on their scales when they're weighing out different uh, uh, crops and things like that. And that was the way that they trained to get strong. Um, and uh, in case that was, that was their way of protecting their homeland, if, if the raiders or, or their own government came in, they wanted to be strong enough to, uh, to defend themselves. And so hundreds and hundreds of years later, those, those traditions have kept up in the Highland Games, and um, there's probably 50 or 60 games around the country every year. One of the biggest being in San Francisco is called the Pleasanton Highland Games. I think this is the 150th year of the games, and it's the longest-running athletic event uh, that has humans as the athletes besides the Kentucky Derby. Um, 
that has has been going consistently since through all the world wars and everything going has never been canceled and uh, i've had the opportunity to compete there a few times and uh, it's an awesome awesome event in a few days and probably 30 40,000 people show up and and watch a bunch of big strong men and women in kilts uh throw trees and rocks and hammers and weights and and yell and scream and then go drink some beer. It's basically the most fun thing ever. Isn't there an event where you have like a pitchfork and like you like hoist over a Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's called a sheath. Yeah. It's a um it's a bag it's a burlap sack filled with chopped rope and it's supposed to kind of be like a bale of hay. Obviously they would stick the bale of hay back in the day and as they flip the hay up on the the um pile the pile would get higher and higher and higher. So obviously you had to throw it higher and higher to get your bale of hay to stick on there. And back in the old society, only the strongest and best man could work the longest that day because after a while, the pile got too high for the lesser men to keep going. That's cool. Yeah, I've always wanted to do that. They have one here in Tulsa. Haven't haven't been able to do it oh, yet. Yeah. One day it's going to happen. <laughs> You ought to. It's it, uh, and just realize you got to block out your calendar after that because you'll probably start throwing and you'll probably kill a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, I know I did. All right, so Bert, I, I uh, went to Twitter and I asked for some questions. I know there are we have some followers who are fans of your all's products. Um, and here's a few. One I got was, um, when's the best time to work out? Morning, evening, or does it really matter? Right. Well, there's there's anecdotal evidence and there's evidence that uh, that is scientific and, and I'll I'll first give the scientific evidence from from what I've I've read a number of times and uh, talked to some athletes and they feel that it's most of the strength coaches I speak with they'll try to train about ten o'clock in the morning and the reason for that is well depending on their on their sleep schedule. Um, your your testosterone as a man is the highest in the morning uh, as you wake up. And so you're trying to, to feed off of that testosterone and that growth hormone spike early on. So you want to train as early as you can during the day, but you have to couple that with your, your core body temperature and your circulation and your nervous system firing, which rarely is ever early in the day, as we all know. So they feel if you get about three hours of awake time for your body to start heating up and your joints to lubricate that you're basically crossing your highest testosterone and growth hormone with the first time your body is prepared from a temperature and circulatory standpoint. Uh, and you, you have yet to burn up a lot of your energy throughout the day, your nervous system and, uh, and glycogen. So I, I know a lot of athletes who will train anywhere between that nine and 11 period of time makes it kind of nice you could train you get right off you go right into lunch refuel the system so best case scenario that's probably it uh that being said i have lifted probably 95 percent of my life at five o'clock p.m and that's more of an anecdotal and cultural thing around here um probably because of my days in college we threw the hammer from two o'clock to five o'clock or javelin or shot put or whatever we were throwing. And then we went right to the weight room, which tended to be about five o'clock. We'd lift till seven and then we'd go eat. Uh, when I, when I started working full time, we'd work our, our full day, knock off at five and everyone meet the gym and, and, and go at it. So I say, whichever one works better for you, there's the scientific 
approach, and then there's the, hey, whatever works for you approach. Whatever, yeah. I wouldn't train too late, though, because I think that uh, your, your nervous system will get in, in too much sympathetic versus the fight or flight uh, while you're training, and it's going to be hard to, to downshift into parasympathetic, which is going to allow you to sleep uh, well and relax and recover. And recovery, as we all know, is the, the, name, the main name of the game when it comes to um, strength gains. Yeah, I'm learning that. I for a while there I was like really overtraining and wasn't making any progress yes. and now I'm, you know, it's like working out every day. Now I'm just 3 times a week and it's my gains have gotten better. Right. Right. Exactly. He who recovers most and fastest wins. Yeah. That is that is the key. Um that is the key to it all and actually one of my mentors, Jeff Nichols, uh who runs Virginia High Performance um, he's been mentoring me on even that next stage of recovery. Uh, and Jeff happened to be, um, not only a deployed and active uh, member of SEAL Team 6, but was also in charge of a lot of the recovery, both mental uh, and physical at the teams, uh, as well as a lot of their exercise uh, pieces. So um, it's been a blessing to know and, and to become friends with him to really learn how how the body and the mind works together and, and different protocols go through to relax the body to achieve maximal recovery. Um, so you might want to look him up. He's uh, way smarter than I am with that. Awesome. Um, another question we had was someone who uh, had a small space available for uh, like a home gym. What are like the very basic pieces of equipment you think they should have uh, if the guy wants to start like sure. a really small garage gym or even a gym in their little place in their apartment? Sure. Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll go from a bang for the buck standpoint. Uh, it's really hard to get around. If you really want to get strong and have some real things happen, uh, a barbell. Uh, now, if you want to lose some weight and become more active and you literally have like zero space, get a few kettlebells. You can put them under your bed. Hopefully you don't because you'll probably forget to ever use them. Uh, or you, they, they take up very, very little space, and you can swing a kettlebell just about anywhere, and they take up very little space, and you can get a lot of stuff done. I actually knew a girl that lost 82 pounds just by swinging kettlebells. No, no other cardio, no other exercise. It was after she had her kids, and she put a kettlebell beside her couch, and she said anytime the commercials would come on, I would just swing the kettlebell through the commercial bricks. Wow. Simple. Um, and it was pretty pretty wild how well it worked. Now, going back to if I wanted to become brutally strong and go and go towards that goal of, of a man of lifting double body weight, you're going to want an, a good Olympic lifting bar and uh, some sort of plates. Bumper plates are generally um, pretty popular because they don't ding up your floor. They're a little bit quieter. Uh, so I would say a 300-pound set of bumper plates and a barbell would be my start. From that, you could get really, really strong. You get 85% as strong as you're probably ever going to get um, without some without sports specificity thrown in there. Uh, that would be a start. The next thing I would get would be some sort of squat rack with a pull-up bar option, um, because now you could do suspended, uh, you know, relative body body weight things like pull-ups. Uh, you could use your PRX straps, things like that, and it's you have an anchor point. Uh, my exact home gym, that's pretty much what was in there. Uh, in my old house, I didn't have a lot of space in the garage. I literally had a, a rack that took up four feet wide, eight feet tall, two feet deep and a barbell. And I, and I had a thick bar as well. And that was, 
that was what I, what I trained on when I couldn't get to the gym. And I stayed relatively strong and in shape with, with very, very little space. And I would laugh that my entire gym took up eight square feet. Okay. That's not very much space. Yeah, you get it done. Awesome. Uh, so we had a, another uh, Art of Manliness reader ask, I think he's wanting to start a gym, and he's asking, what's the realistic cost of equipment f- to start a gym that supports 20 people? Ooh, <laughs> that's a hard one. That's kind of like saying, uh, how much does a car cost? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it really depends on what what the uh, the outcome of training that you're looking for for those 20 people, how are they training together at the exact same time? Are they circuiting? I'd hate to even try to answer that. Yeah. Um, you know, five grand, 10 grand. I really don't know. It really depends on their, their needs, their specific needs for that. And if it's, if you're saying 20 people, you're probably thinking of something like a CrossFit setup, I would guess, you know, mm-hmm. not to use the, the term CrossFit, like that's the only thing, but, at least the listeners will know kind of the idea. Uh, from there, you're, you're going to need, I would say, eight to ten barbells, kettlebells, bumpers, some sort of racking, a rigging system. Um, and you probably are looking in the ten grand area to to get that, you know, squared away bare bones. Yeah, that's not that's actually not too bad if you're like trying to start like a it's small not. gym, small business. Sure, you you could get you could get after. I mean. Again, it's not going to be lap of luxury, but uh, you know, people over over calculate and over uh, overthink weight training a lot. Uh, it's resistance against a, a lever arm or a muscle that makes you strong. I mean, it's it's not that difficult, but there there are a heck of a lot of ways to do it wrong. But uh, but it's pretty simple to do it right. All right. So what's uh, Bert, what's in the f- future of Sorenex, and where can we learn more about the company and its philosophy? Sure. Sure. Well, the future, um, it's, it's, it's bright and it's, it's fun. Uh, we're actually moving to a new facility. We're, we're literally moving there as we speak, 70,000 square feet uh, of manufacturing space made in good old South Carolina. Uh, we pride ourselves on American manufacturing. And um, with that, uh, a, a project that's fun for me is the expanded gym space that we're going to have. It's going to be open to any athletes who want to come by and train anytime. Um, we want to give back to the community by giving them a, a safe place to come and learn and to come teach us um, and have that open information. So the, the gym is going to be a fun part, but my uh, my baby of it is going to be the uh, Museum of Physical Culture that we're going to have. It's going to be the first museum of its kind in, in uh, the Southeast that I know about, uh, the other one being the Stark Center at the University of Texas. Uh, good friends of ours, Dan and Terry Todd, are the curators there. And, um, but the museum is going to be a a spot where you have, um, magazines and books for the, from the last century on physical training. It's going to have, um, artifacts of different times, uh, different times of the, and and areas of the world with strength, um, 200 year old kettlebells and Indian clubs and where you could really come and get your hands on the pieces and take a sabbatical of strength to come check out what that physical culture is all about. So, those are some some projects that I'm excited about. Besides that, it's just always growing the brotherhood of strength, uh, that how we consider our customer base, and uh, learn from them and, and teach teach them as well, and um, just keep trying to get better. Yeah, that, that's really what it all boils down to. Um, when's the museum slated to open? The lifestyle. I was gonna uh, the museum. 
the museum we're shooting for um, late June, which will be, uh, which is our what we call our Summer Strong event, and it'll be Summer Strong Eight. Uh, this is this will be the eighth year we're doing that's June 26th, 27th weekend, and it's our opportunity to give back to our community and and, and our brotherhood of strength. So we bring in some of the best coaches and trainers and athletes, strength athletes in the world, some of the names that, that people read about and never get to talk to. Thankfully, we're friends with most of them. We'll bring them in, and um, for very low cost, we allow people to, to come to Summer Strong, and it's a three-day Woodstock of strength and, and physical culture that everyone gets to hang out and learn and, and, um, and uh, participate and compete. Uh, we eat a lot of meat, um, have a couple adult beverages, and uh, just make friends and network and just get to all sharpen each other's swords. And, and that's, that's my, uh, my, my kind of drop dead date that I want the uh, museum. I want to unveil it at summer strong. That's awesome. It sounds great. I'll have to make a trip out there. It sounds right. I'd on love my to alley. have you here. We'll, 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 yes, you will be a VIP for sure. <laughs> well, Bert, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Brett, it was awesome getting to talk to you, and it really is an absolute honor. Uh, you guys are doing some great stuff, and, and I, I log in a lot because I, I need to learn and always sharpen my, my weapon as well. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Our guest today was Bert Soren. He is the CEO of Sorenex, and you can find out more about Sorenex and their equipment at Sorenex.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And I'd really appreciate it if you also check out store.artofmanliness.com where you can find Art of Manliness products. Uh, again, we've just launched a journal inspired by Benjamin Franklin's virtue journal that he developed for himself as a young man. It's a way you can track your progress in becoming a better more virtuous man. It's pretty cool. Uh, so go check it out. You can't find it anywhere else at store.artofmanliness.com. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.